If Facebook knows so much about me, why is my feed full of sport? Can I expense this election I bought? Helen, you may recall last episode, you were advising Andrew in Melbourne on how to live in his grandfather's house. Yes, which he's not allowed to alter. Correct. Because in my armchair psychologist view, his family weren't willing to let go of granddad and the physical manifestation of his life. Which is ongoing, I think we should point out. He's still alive. Grandpa is still alive, yeah. But he's probably not coming home. Well, Andrew has been back in touch and he says, Helen, your suggestions on how to make the place feel homier were much appreciated. Yes! As were your thoughts on the emotional aspect of my situation. Nailed it! Um, (laughs) She says sensitively. I listened to your answer with my mum, which led to a good chat about how we're all coming to terms with it oh. to imagine helen when we started this podcast you know do you think claire from episode one sat down with her doctor to listen to our answer on constipation <laughs> <laughs> i doubt yeah. it i hope so i hope she hasn't been bunged up for all 11 years we basically offer like a third-hand mediation service don't we a third hand also useful when you do suffer from constipation oh uh, no. andrew continues uh mum does want to correct a few matters however she wants you to know that the restrictions on room usage were to protect the antique furniture and the fine china and the crystal Mm -hmm. until we can sell it. Yeah, but they haven't sold it and they haven't stacked it carefully all in one room so Andrew can at least have a different room that he is allowed in because it doesn't have any crystal in it. They're not ready. Your answer was much appreciated, Helen. Sorry. There's no need to double down. Sorry. Andrew does admit as well that selling this stuff could prove difficult. He says, who needs a set of prawn cocktail glasses these days? May I say, me. I, I would love a set of prawn cocktail glasses. Is that because you live in the 1970s? It's because I think prawn cocktail is just a much underrated starter. Can you use a crystal prawn cocktail glass for anything else, like a sundae? I don't see why not, apart from the lingering smell of fish meat. Andrew continues, Mum also disputes my claim that the dolls in her childhood bedroom are creepy. But they are dolls. Ergo. <laughs> <laughs> so, Helen, answer me this. Are these dolls creepy or at least somewhat politically incorrect? And he's uh, he's attached some photos for you to peruse. We'll put these doll photos on Facebook, facebook.com slash answer me this. But I'll just try and paint a picture with words right now. What we're looking at are several dozen dolls dressed in the national costumes of many nations. It's like Eurovision on someone's shelf. Various different Asian stereotype Is dolls. Like, let's take a loot. A doll in a sari, a doll with like traditional Dutch wear. There's one that looks a lot like Mrs. Pepperpot if Mrs. Pepperpot were played by Angela Lansbury. I think uh, what I would say is that whilst these dolls aren't creepy in a kind of dusty woman in black type way, they are creepy in a it's a small world, children in harmony, lobotomized, diverse way. These dolls are less creepy than they were in my imagination, but they still need to go. So maybe mum needs to reacquaint herself with all these old doll friends of hers and then put them on eBay. But get them out of Andrew's new home. Elizabeth from Oxfordshire, currently in Chicago. I'm an au pair living with a family in the USA during my gap year. And in June, I have a week off where I have the opportunity to go on a road trip with one of my closest friends here. Um, We're going to be taking it in turns to drive. And we plan to see Niagara Falls, Toronto, Boston and maybe New York City. But the problem is that although we're both pretty confident and relatively outgoing, We're both pretty introverted and 
So as much as we like hanging out with each other, neither of us can cope hanging out with people for long periods of time, like full stop. So I'm worried that the hours upon hours of us driving together will be too much um, over three or four days, but we have no way to spend time separately as we'll be sharing hostel rooms and sharing a car and eating together and stuff. So Helen and Ollie answered me this. On a road trip, how do you spend time apart when you can't actually spend time apart? You can spend time alone. Like yeah. within that, so, so what if you're sharing a room? You can go off for a walk by yourself. Yes, I would suggest that. I would suggest when you actually arrive in a town, you go off and do separate activities. Or if you want to just relax, maybe both go to the cinema because that's kind of like being on your own. I wonder whether, um, in a way, it's harder for Elizabeth to imagine that because she's going with a friend. Mm. Like strangely, although you might think in a couple the onus would be on you to spend more time together because you're in a relationship. Actually, in a couple, you're possibly more used to saying... All right, shut up and fuck off. Whereas when you're with a mate on your big road trip, yeah, you're supposed to explore everything together. Although she does say both of them are introverts and therefore maybe it'll be a relief for the friend to know that Elizabeth is thinking about this. I think it's fine to wear mutual pairs of headphones and plan these separate activities when you are in a place go to different museums or go around the museum at a different pace and then meet at the end to discuss the museum. Now that is a great tip. It took me until I was 36, Helen, to realise this was an option. Oh, if only we'd been here for you. Um, I was in um, Catalonia with my wife's family mm. and we started queuing to go to the Dali Museum in Figueres. Oh. You'd like it, Martin. There's big eggs there. I've been. <laughs> I've been to the Dali Museum. I went oh, there 15 oh, years ago. That, that was before your egg era. Maybe it's what put me onto it. Anyway, there was a 40-minute queue to get in. Um, So my mother-in-law and my wife and her sisters just said, no, we're going to go off and get some lunch and go shopping. We don't want to see it again because they'd been before. Oh, okay. But my father-in-law wanted to come. So we spent 40 minutes queuing together, chatting. And I just assumed, therefore, we were museum buddies. We were doing it together. Once we got through the threshold, he just turned to me, Sergeant Major style, took authority and said, right, I've done this before. I know which bits I want to see. We're going to go around at different speeds, so I'll meet you back here at three o'clock. Great. Hey. Perfect. And it was amazing. What, what a hero. I was like, thank God, because actually, you know, I'd be making, from his point of view, really pedestrian observations about paintings he was over-familiar with. But that watch doesn't keep time, eh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you're close enough friends that you can sit in silence together and just get on with your own things without the need for constant conversation... You can have a little private headspace, even if you're in the same space in the same car or in the same dorm room or whatever it is. I think actually it's me that wants my own time more than Martin. Yesterday I made him go off and do an expedition on his own, but I think he wanted me to come with him, whereas I would happily go on expeditions on my own nearly every day. In my relationship, I'm the more talky one, so... You know, I, I could happily talk the whole time we're in a car driving... My wife cannot bear that and wants a divorce. <laughs> so what we do is is I talk at her for about half an hour and she says a few things. And then we sometimes we'll put an album on and listen to that or an audiobook and not talk, like make a thing of not talking for an hour. I think audiobooks and podcasts in the car is a good idea. And when you're having meals, you could just agree that that's when you both do some reading rather than chatting. But you might actually find that you get a rhythm where you, you really enjoy having your friend around in semi-silence. Where are you at the moment? Taiwan. What have you made in Taiwan? Uh Uh-oh. Sorry. If you had done any handicrafts, though, that would work. I do miss handicrafts, but not enough to justify that joke. What's Taiwan like? Oh, it's great. I'm really enjoying it. The great thing about Taiwan, Ollie, is that they do dim sum all through the day. All day. 
Not just in the mornings, right, yeah. like a lot of uh, Chinese places. A lot of lightweights looking at you, mainland China. I think that's a real <laughs> fuck you to mainland China. And also... <laughs> and is it, are you expected to eat it three meals a day like Scottish yeah. people eat sausages three no, times a day? No, you just have no, the no. option to do that. Right, yeah. Here's a question from Gareth in Chorleywood, who says, Ollie, answer me this. Can pubs run loyalty schemes like coffee chains do? They can. Oh. And um, that surprises me, because there have been laws and attempted regulatory um, curbs on special offers, two-for-ones and one-pound drinks and things like that, for the obvious reason of not wanting to encourage alcoholism Mm. um, and in the interest of public health. So I sort of thought that might, wouldn't you think, you know, in a parliamentary debate, have expanded as far as loyalty cards. Like, if you're encouraging someone to buy five drinks and get the sixth one, that could be problematic. Apparently not. It's fine. They do exist. But I, I think this is the nature of Gareth's question, why don't they exist on a widespread basis? Mm. I think what it comes down to um, is actually, it's very boring this, but it's to do with the technology that powers all the tills. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> well, when you use like a club card or a nectar card, uh, for foreign listeners, those are supermarket-related loyalty schemes, you hand over a plastic card, and they do have apps now, but most people still hand over a plastic card, and that has a barcode on the back of it. And that goes through the till. And the whole purpose, really, of the loyalty card, of course, is to give you a special offer so that you come back. But really, it's to give the supermarket lots of information about you. You know, what's in your shopping basket, where you live, what your demographic is, so that they can market things to you more efficiently. For that to work, all the pubs in a chain need to have a till, like a supermarket with all their aisles, that understands that information. Otherwise, it's kind of pointless having the scheme. And basically, the way a lot of free houses work is uh, landlords run the pub. They're all slightly different, even though they might be part of Chef and Brewer or Green King or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so actually trying to get a loyalty scheme to work across lots of diverse, different local pubs would be really difficult technologically. And you'd have to train everyone the same way, even if they worked in completely different environments. You know, some of them are drinkers' pubs, some of them are food pubs. So I think that's the reason. Um, Weatherspoons is the obvious place where you'd think, well, surely they've got an app. Surely they'd have a loyalty scheme. Yeah. But they don't. The only reason I can imagine that they don't do it is that thing of not wanting to be accused of encouraging people to drink too much. And I think it's as simple as that. I think they do target their consumers in different clever ways. You know, when you sign up to use the Wi-Fi, you'll get an email offer offering you two-for-one cocktails. But I don't think they want people walking around with a Weatherspoons piece of plastic in their wallet because of the suggestion that that means you're a bit of a pisshead. Um, I'm tempted to ask you about exciting drinks you've had on your travels, but I imagine not that many because you tend not to uh, consume alcohol. Yes. Have, have, have you have you partaken of anything exciting? Yesterday I was in a convenience store and they sold Pringles, which were mineral water flavoured. No. Uh, and I was intrigued. I hadn't bought them yet. But I thought, for the museum of things that shouldn't exist, yeah, <laughs> should, I should invest. So, so, but you haven't bought them yet. So, you're going to go back and buy them. But can you please go back and buy them? I'm happy to pay for the postage if you want to send them to me. Because <laughs> I'm curious, because like plain Pringles would still be basically salty, wouldn't it? Yeah. But the thing about mineral water is the absence of salt compared yeah. to seawater. Wash so the salt off. What is that? What is that? The taste of? I don't even know. Fizziness. I've just got to find out. If you got a question, got a question email, your question email your question to answer me this podcast at googlemail.com Answer me this podcast at googlemail.com It's great, it's great.
Jay in Portland, Oregon says, I am a secret skipping lover. Yes. No need to keep it secret. There's nothing wrong with it. Well, yeah, I mean, he's he's out on the show, isn't he? He's given us his name. We know his email address. But we can't see him skipping, so he could be That's anybody. True. As I am a 31-year-old man, anyone who sees me skipping looks at me like I'm out of my mind. Oh. I think, I mean, I'd be guilty of that. You know, I'm not saying he should be shamed, but I think if I did see a grown man skipping, I would probably think they were a bit insane. That's yeah. so sad. Just because it's unconventional, you would think, what's going on in that man's head? This is why skippers stay secret. Jay continues, Before I break into that not-quite-running-not-quite-walking jaunt, I always make sure to check no one is around to see. So, Helen, answer me this. Why do people stop skipping when they're adults? And how can we make it okay for everyone to have a little bounce in their step as they wander down the road? This is a really good question. Bring back skipping. Bring back (laughs) skipping. Because, you know, skipping uses 24% more energy than running at the same speed. No. But how much more jubilant fun is it? Much. Lots more. Way more than 24%. 50% more, yeah. I'd say 150%. So I wouldn't be surprised if, over the next few years, skipping did return to public parks as skipping groups felt empowered in company with each other to skip en masse. And then maybe solo skippers thought, you know what, it's all right for people to jog. I'm going to skip. So maybe you just need to find some like-minded skippers, Jay, and reclaim the skipping. Or maybe take, uh, I would take a niece with me as my cover story, I reckon. (laughs) What I disagree with in what you're saying is the optimism that by starting a skipping group, that would filter into people feeling confident to skip alone. I don't think it would. Jay is in Portland, Um, (laughs) Oregon. If anywhere can bring skipping back and make it acceptable publicly for adults to do it's portland and i i still think it wouldn't happen but i'm not saying don't do it in a group i think it's a great idea i think forming a skipping group of like-minded individuals excellent idea and if i saw that in the park i'd think it was quaint and amusing it's just that i it, it maybe it's conditioning of me not you but you know i'm not gonna I, I can't imagine a world where in 20 years time i wouldn't I, I wouldn't think it's weird to see someone skip past me if they're an adult it's a world that i would be happy to live in and skip through sure i'm just but I'm just being honest. I remember when I was a child uh, skipping, I just thought, I'll never be tired skipping <laughs> compared to walking or running. And and for a child, skipping is intermediate between walking and running. So when you've mastered walking, but your leg abilities are still a bit too new, that's why skipping is, is popular amongst young children. But then as you get older, your centre of gravity is less skipping compatible. So I think maybe that's one reason why it phases out in uh. adults a bit. It's just it, harder for a taller heavier person to do right not just because people are judgmental about someone doing something as happy seeming as skipping in public you see that's interesting because it's a bit like carrying around teddy bears and comforters isn't it like on the one hand there's no or putting your thumb in your mouth and sucking on that like there's no reason why there has to be a stigma about adults doing that if it was still something that adults enjoyed doing but maybe there is a case, maybe it isn't social conditioning, maybe there's a physical reason you just stop needing to do that. Most people stop needing to do that when they become adolescents or whatever. Maybe it's a bit like that with skipping. Like it just actually, the, the physical box you were ticking before, as you were saying, isn't being ticked anymore. And so naturally people grow out of it. And that's why it seems weird when other people do it. You know what, the way to validate any kind of movement from strolling to dancing to rolling over on your couch as you watch a seventh hour of television is do it in exercise clothes. Yes. So just tog up 
for your skipping group. Preferably flog a DVD, or these days, I guess, a YouTube channel around the subject, so it can become the latest fitness trend. Yeah, like size. Yeah, and then put a diet with it, and a cookbook, and seriously, you'll be a millionaire, Jay. Also, astronauts skip in space, because it's a slightly easier gait to do when you're wearing a massive spacesuit. So all you need to do is pretend that it's an astronaut fitness, and everyone will be like, well, that sounds sciencey. I suppose also, you know, when a man says, I'm a 31-year-old man, the image that jumps into my head, I'm thinking, lunch break, guy in a suit. It seems particularly ridiculous. Yes, with a briefcase. Yeah. If Actually, if I saw a 31-year-old man in sports gear skipping past me in the park, I might assume it was a warm-up or a cool-down. With a Fitbit on and little mm. hand weights. Exactly, yeah. Get the gear, no one will notice. But, you know, I think exercise could stand to be more fun. I think adult gyms that were more like playgrounds would be a huge hit and i think skipping i'm gonna put money on it as in four years time an exercise craze that they're writing about in the guardian and stuff where do you stand on skipping with the skipping rope is that cool people love skipping with a skipping rope uh, in gyms yeah army training they do that don't they and that's usually the province of little girls in playgrounds as well and yet that managed <laughs> to bounce its way into mainstream exercise by making the ropes all like chrome and heavy i think boxers use that i think that's yes. maybe why you know very sort yeah, of uh, what's the phrase? Sort of gender insecure men uh, are prepared to skipping rope, but not a skip, not freestyle skipping. So if boxers took up road skipping, it's going to be back. It's going to be back. I am your current website. I look rather shabby. I've got an ugly font, and my graphics are scabby. And I have more wasted space than Westminster Abbey. Add a mezzanine, guys. You need a makeover provided by Squarespace. Their award-winning templates give you a new face. Seriously, I promise it will be so very nice. Unlike your pronunciation. Squarespace ads brought to you by Keanu Reeves. (laughs) What? He was on the Super Bowl commercial. It was Keanu. Why are they bothering with us when they've got bloody Keanu? (laughs) I think we're probably going for different demographics. Uh, within the brand Um, but yeah uh, Keanu Reeves uses Squarespace to host the website for his motorcycle company apparently or clothes for motorbikes or something I always feel as as a rule for life if it's good enough for Keanu he doesn't seem like somebody who's bothered by the latest fads (laughs) he seems to have a very serene vibe and uh, that maybe the pared down templates of Squarespace match his mood it's like not a lot of extra flim flam here yeah simple clean neo Although I was looking at the templates on Squarespace just yesterday, thinking I might have a little spruce up around here. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they did seem to have quite a lot that were named after people. Didn't spot one named after Keanu, but they should. I think because Keanu is already a meme, Mm. maybe it would be weird to have a Keanu template. But anyway, uh, if you want to uh, do as Keanu does... Um, then head over to squarespace.com. Take out their free trial for a couple of weeks. Access your inner Keanu Reeves. (laughs) And then if you want to go ahead and say, yes, make this Squarespace website a reality. Put it online so that everyone can see it and bask in it. Get a domain name thrown in. Full package. Host a podcast on it if you want. Put your photos on it. Have a store. Then you get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain when you use our code ANSWER. Hello, Linda from Uddersfield again. How are we? Answer me this, quick one. Will Smell-O-Vision ever be a thing? Will Smell-O-Vision ever be a thing? Well, it has been a thing, but only for one film ever. It's not just Smell-O-Vision. There are many ways to scent a production. There have been various efforts to do it. And in fact, 
theatres were on this before cinema existed. In 1868, the Alhambra Theatre in London vaporises, dispense smells around a production called The Fairy Acorn Tree. Hmm. I think in the 20s and 30s as well, Broadway used to squirt smells in the air. But also that's a technique that's used by theme parks, isn't it? So yeah, when you're yeah. talking about um, you know, creating an environment, like if you go on the, I don't know, Harry Potter ride or whatever, whilst you're queuing to get on, you might smell mm. what the Hogwarts dining hall smells like and they pump through a bit of boiled mince and <laughs> whatever. But... That's different because that is a live experience. But it seems to me what Lyndon is asking is when you're watching the telly, would you get a smell-o-vision unit to put over your face or some sort of live interactive experience? And surely the answer is no. I mean, even if the technology existed for that, no. Like, Who wants that? Well, I suppose if you're thinking VR, you could wear a headset and during Saturday Kitchen, mm. your VR set could do something with the smell receptors in your brain to make you think that you're smelling what they're cooking, then that seems possible, albeit a little unnecessary. But I think if it was actually squirting smells out of your television, then that would be a problem and uh, also very expensive and potentially triggering allergies. Expense, actually, Walt Disney was going Mm. to do smells for Fantasia, but didn't. Okay, yeah, I can imagine that with Sorcerer's Apprentice, Waves of the Ocean. Yeah, Exactly. Bit of salty spume. <laughs> Delicious salty spume. But Centervision, which featured several odours, was demonstrated in 1939, so going back a long way, at the New York World's Fair. It was a professor called Hans Lauber. And it was actually he that went on to create the smells for the one Smell-O-Vision film that happened in 1960. Okay, sorry. What was the one Smell-O-Vision film? I should be more excited. The one Smell-O-Vision film was called Scent of Mystery. It was a comedy mystery caper. It was recently reissued on DVD without smells uh, (laughs) as Holiday in Spain. Uh, So you might be watching it thinking, why is there such a lingering shot of bread? But that's because you don't Mm. have the smell-o-vision to make you think, oh, oh my goodness, there's bread. Well, that's the problem with 3D movies as well, isn't it? When you watch them 2D, Mm. you're like, why is there a close-up of that branch? Why is there so much gratuitous flying? Why are they throwing apples at me? (laughs) But at the same time, almost, a month before that, there was an Aromarama production, which was also pumping smells into a cinema through different means. The scent of mystery was accessorised by smells because they they'd kitted out a cinema with tiny black pipes on every seat with spray nozzles that sprayed out a combination of 30 smells they had at their disposal and it cost i think 30,000 at the time to install that equipment so prohibitively expensive for most theaters yeah aroma rama only cost seven and a half thousand because they were pumping it through the air conditioning it was a documentary called behind the great wall about china and so they had floral scents and cooking and tiger smells whatever they are and firecrackers blowing up but they had to purify the air several times during the film because such a fog was building up and people came out and said that film just smelled really bad it stinks well everyone's everyone smells different Presumably, I don't mean their odour. If everyone smelled the same, (laughs) we'd get tired of sniffing at each other. But but you can't unify the experience of what people are smelling. And what some people will find pleasant, other people would find queasy. Well, absolutely, because as you know, I dislike 
nearly all perfumes and I hate going into a room with room fragrance in because you can't escape it. So that was the problem with Aromarama. And then in Smell-O-Vision, it was kind of the opposite problem in that some people weren't getting the smells because their nozzle was blocked or they were too far away from it. Or they were getting the smell too late for that scene in the film. Apparently the hissing of the stuff being squirted out of the pipes was distracting, as was all the people sniffing loudly. So apparently it just yes. wasn't a good live theatrical experience, as well as expensive... And then you've got a room that stinks. In 1981, John Waters released his film Polyester with a scratch and sniff card, Odorama. There was like a parody of Smell-O-Vision. Yeah. They would flash a number up on screen and the audience knew that then they scratched off that relevant bit and apparently one of the smells was farts and one of them was socks and one of them was roses. And so at least then you can control the amount of smell that you're subjected to. So it's not that these things never happened again i think disney's resorts 3d films still squirt some smells in yes yes and that's where i can see it working like if you're going to a screening of a jurassic park experience that's 10 minutes long then i i get that they would spray around the room something that felt a bit sort of foresty to make Mm. you feel like you're there or i could get that if you're watching a film that is about food like if you're watching chocolat and they pumped in a chocolate smell. You might be like, oh, but then after about two minutes, it might start getting very cloying. I think it would. Yeah. I was interested to read a theory that Smell-O-Vision and Aromarama were both inspired by the book Brave New World. How? Because in it, a character goes to see a feely, so like a talkie, a film, but with the sensory experiences added on. Huh. So maybe it is a kind of dystopian idea to have a film that smells... Well, talking of dystopian smells, uh, here's an email from someone who's chosen to remain anonymous, but who says, For several years now, I've had nasal polyps, and Mm. despite medication and surgery, I have been left with absolutely no sense of smell. Ooh, that's rough. I can still remember what smells are like, but I really can't smell a thing these days. Apart from the time I knock the gas on without realising it, this isn't really a problem, and I don't miss smells at all. That's weird. Well, I'm I'm happy for you, Anonymous. However, I've become friends with someone who is generally an all-round good guy. I sometimes invite him to my favourite pub and we chat about random stuff whilst drinking beer. Recently, though, a few of my other friends that have met him have mentioned my stinky mate. Oh, no. The landlord of the pub has told me in no uncertain terms to tell my mate to go and have a wash as he has to spray the place with air freshener wow. when we leave. Okay, that does sound like <sighs> quite a stinky mate. That's well, a perfect, pong. Perfect for you, Anonymous. This, I don't see the problem here, yeah. I mean, you know, it's your mate's problem if people tell him he smells. Yeah, he, you, he's found a perfect friend in you. Well, the problem is they can't go to the pub. Uh, so Helen asked me this, how do I broach this subject? I can't smell anything, so I'm in no position to judge. Mm. I certainly don't have any authority on the matter. For now, I've suggested going to Weatherspoons, as I don't mind if the clientele there are put off their pints. It's not very nice. Uh, but I would rather go back to my local pub without feeling like we are not welcome. Yes. I wonder whether you could kind of get the landlord to come up and spray him so the landlord looks like the arsehole rather than you when you, you don't even care. <laughs> this question reminds me of a very, very early answer me this episode where someone had the predicament of needing to tell somebody that they smell... And even though all these years have passed since, and we're so incredibly wise now, (laughs) a solution for this question is very hard to find because it is a hurtful thing to say to someone. Mm. And at the time, one of our enterprising listeners went and set up a website, youreallysmell.com, whereby you could send a kind, anonymous email to someone saying, 
one of your friends thinks you smell and you should do something about it. Yes. That website has now lapsed, but there's a need for it. Now, I wouldn't say that uh, it should be called you really smell because that's quite aggressive. Mm. If there was a way to send someone a message anonymously without bullying or trolling someone, but which just said enough people maybe you know 10 people have agreed you see but then it is bullying isn't it you can't there really is it's very difficult it's very difficult it is very difficult i think it does depend on why this person smells i would say that yes um because very often if someone has very poor hygiene if they honk Mm -hmm. it might be because they're having a tough time in other ways yeah people who are without like a stable home yes exactly or there are certain medical conditions that couldn't um intensify your smell and if you're a good friend then advising them in a friendly way about their personal hygiene might be a helpful thing you could do so you know you don't need to think about it as god i'm saying this awkward thing like a they may not realize and it would be better if they did realize so that they weren't having that interaction with people without meaning to and b the cause of it might be something quite deep that isn't just about using deodorant but actually could spur on a conversation about how you can help them in other ways. But it's sad to think that this guy is alienating people around him. Yeah. And he might be thinking, oh, why why don't these people want to be friends? Why is this landlord always uh, refusing to serve me? And he might just not know. You could ask him on a spa weekend and one that involves <laughs> a lot of bathing. Yeah, that's a bit harsh on the people working in the, uh, in the spa and yeah. everyone else who spent £200 to be there. What do you do when you want to drown out your incessant interior monologue? Sing opera loudly, try pneumatic drilling, or bash your head against a log. Or go to answermethispodcast.com slash audible and get a free trial to download Miranda Hart or Louis Theroux or Hunger Games or Jeremy Kyle. That sounds Hey, listeners, if you want more things to shove into your ears that aren't going to hurt you like a cotton bud or a pencil or a drill bit or, yeah. or a banana... A light bulb. A spoon. Then, then let us recommend to you an Audible audiobook. Mm. A free one. It's much less painful than a cotton bud or a spoon. And even better than one free audiobook, two free audiobooks. Uh, one for each year. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that, that'd be amazing. Like Julie Walters in my left ear and Nick Clegg in my right. What, what was that Flaming Lips album where you were supposed to put four stereos in four corners of your room and put four <laughs> CDs, each with a different part of the music on and then play them all at the same time? I don't know, but I bet even like at Rolling Stone magazine, no one actually did that. No. I bet even Wayne Thingy didn't do that. No, back in the day that that came out, no one had four things to play CDs on. No, exactly. It's like that thing, have you ever done the thing where, is it the Wizard of Oz you're supposed to watch whilst you listen to Dark Side of the Moon? (laughs) And it's supposed to perfectly time and sync? I think what I'm suggesting is to play your two free audiobooks consecutively, not concurrently. Hmm. And if you want to get yourself two free audiobooks, then all you need to do is head over to answermethispodcast.com slash audible and you use your Amazon login so it's dead easy. You sign up. Uh, This only works for UK listeners, I'm afraid. Yeah. Uh, But you sign up and then you can cancel as soon as you want to once you've got your two free audiobooks. There's yours to keep. At any time. And you keep them or you can continue subscribing to Audible's excellent service. Uh, Answermethispodcast.com slash Audible. And remember, for every single one of you who does that, even though you get two free things out of it as well, we get money 
from Audible for referring you. And to be clear, we don't get paid unless you do it. So please do it. (laughs) Thanks. What are you listening to at the moment, Ollie? Uh, Well, I haven't listened yet, but I've downloaded it. Andrew Lloyd Webber Unmasked. Like the Phantom of the Opera unmasking. Yes, I suppose that's the vibe he's going for, yeah. Although I don't think he actually did uh, kidnap Sarah Brightman and take her down to a cellar so that she'd marry him. Although, who knows? Well, you haven't heard the book yet, have you? (laughs) It's to chapter 11. The only thing that I'm a bit worried about is it, it does stop at Phantom of the Opera, which I think is a shame. Uh, what what comes after that that you would have liked to have heard about but won't? Oh, loads. I'd like to hear about, I mean, like in terms of credible work that's actually good, um, Sunset Boulevard, but in mm-hmm. terms of like fuck-ups that didn't work, that's what I'd like to hear about. I'd like to hear about collaborating with Ben Elton on The Beautiful Game, why Oof. that didn't work. Oof. I'd like to hear about what he thought about the fact that Stephen Ward flopped, even though it was really good. Yeah, none mm. of that's going to be in there. Second volume, maybe. Yeah, and third, I suspect. Well... If you want to listen along with Ollie, answer me this podcast.com slash audible. <laughs> Here's a question from Rufus, who says, I am currently travelling aboard the Christopher Columbus coach on the train from Wales to London, Euston. I was thinking of the great explorer of the same name and found it quite a nice small memento to imagine a carriage in his name travelling the country come rain or snow, day or night, summer or winter. Yeah, it's perhaps not the greatest tribute to Christopher Columbus, but it's... It's not an insulting one. Columbus has a fuck of a lot of tributes. He's not doing too badly. (laughs) Exactly. Don't pity him. I doubt the Virgin train lines to Euston is even in his top ten. But he's also being commemorated by creating thoughts in Rufus's mind. He says, Ollie, answer me this. Who names train carriages? And how does one request for a carriage to be named? And ultimately, could we get a Helen and Ollie named carriage? Firstly, technically... Um, It's not carriages that are being named on the train that he's on. It's actually the multiple unit express train itself. Oh. Don't get me to define the difference between a multiple unit express train and just a train. But there is one. (laughs) So like the Flying Scotsman is like the name of a train. Whereas Christopher Columbus is a multiple unit express train. So there are multiple carriages on that train called Christopher Columbus. But the train itself isn't necessarily known, I think, as Christopher Columbus. It's known as 1113101 or whatever it was called when Bombardier made it. Boring. Now, the trains that Virgin Trains decided to name after explorers are known as super voyagers. Hmm. When they were built for British Rail, they're class 221 super voyagers. Hence, you can see why Virgin thought it would be fun to name them all after famous voyages. Um, so that's how they came up with the names. So they've got um, Ernest Shackleton as well, and Marco Polo at the serious end. And at the more populist end, you can get on board Michael Palin. And I think a lot of people would like to get on board Michael Palin. I think there's plenty <laughs> of middle-aged women that have dreamt of such a thing. Uh, and also Doctor Who. There's a Doctor Who train, even though he's not a real explorer. Oh, that's bullshit. And then there are no female trains, I'm assuming, because explorers are historically not a female-heavy industry, you could say, apart from Freya Stark. Actually, there are two trains named after female explorers, um, but I'd never heard of them before because of the issue you just highlighted Mm -hmm. with the lack of famous female explorers. So, Who are they? Okay, so there's uh, an Amy Johnson... Yes. And Amelia Earhart. Oh, she's the, she was an aviator, wasn't she? And uh, a Mary Kingsley. There are okay. some that, I don't know if they're men or women, Mayflower Pilgrims. I presume that's a group of people. That's a mixed bunch. Yeah. Is it all white people? I mean, there's a lot to break down here. I appreciate you might not have all the demographic information. But if they're naming them after fictional characters, then maybe they could branch out from the white and mostly male explorers right but anyway it's quite a sweet idea to try and give the train some personality otherwise it is just a sort of faceless mode of transport yeah well then if they really want to give the trains personality why don't they paint faces on the front 
Well, you, you hinted an important issue here, Helen, which is why is there not a Thomas the Tank Engine fleet of trains? Mm. Um, I appreciate that he's a steam engine and we don't have those anymore. But even so, um, just, I mean, Harvey would be queuing around the block to have a go on Percy, even if it was just the Thames link to West Hampstead and it was called Percy. Mm. So why don't they do that? And I think the answer must be a, a complex web of licensing issues. Yeah. Uh, but it's a shame, isn't it? You know, I mean, there you have some characters in children's fiction that are essentially just trains with faces painted on them. That's all they are. They don't really have great personalities. The optimum way to use that particular franchise of characters would be on a train, and no one's done it. Or you could have other trains from fiction as well, so you could paint up the Hogwarts Express, or now I'm trying to think of any other train from fiction. (laughs) Well, the Orient Express, but I guess that's 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 been taken. I recently discovered, Helen, that... um, Starlight Express, the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical, mm. was intended to be Thomas the Tank Engine, the musical. Oh, wow! And they couldn't get the branding, so they had to just repurpose yeah. it. Yeah. Mm. So Andrew Lloyd Webber wrote to Reverend whatever he was called, who came up with Thomas, and said, "I've just done implausibly a musical based around a T.S. Eliot collection of poems about cats, and it was popular. I can do now anything. Now I implausibly want to do one based around your old children's <laughs> oh, books. Oh, hubris! And he was like, no. Not interested. I, I, don't, I'm not, I don't want to do a commercial tie-up with you because you're going to do something cheap and brash. And he went, I'll show you! I'll show you! And when it comes to whether you can campaign to name a train after us or anybody, um, the rules on how you can do that are fairly unclear. There are not really sort of open interfaces online that suggest that you can get involved in that. And I, I think the reason for that is we all know what would happen. Trainy McTrain face. Uh, Stockholm to Gothenburg is now called Trainy McTrain face. It's really called Trainy McTrain face. It really is, yeah. Oh, I was being glib. It's happened. Oh, people have really lived down to my expectations. (laughs) Here's a question from Valerie in Austin, Texas. She says, I have recently purchased a B-Day toilet attachment. Woo! The problem I'm having trouble figuring out is whether or not I make mention of this to people who'll be using my bathroom. You can use the toilet without interacting with the bidet. Sure. But perhaps someone visiting me would like to use it. Of course. I don't want to make anyone uncomfortable with bathroom talk. Right. But I also don't want them to be weirded out by my toilet's accessory. So, Ollie, answer me this. What is the right amount of conversation to have with guests about bidets? Okay, so obviously my instinct as a British man is don't mention this at all. Like, you don't have polite conversations about bidets. You don't talk about them generally. They're not that common in Britain, but if you did have one, it would be, you know, as it is for washing out your arsehole and genitals, something you wouldn't discuss politely at all. However, I'm trying to commute myself, Valerie, into your brain in Austin, Austin, Texas. A liberal city in Texas. America, a bit more open about uh, these functions. And and yet, a stranger to the B-Day. So, like, I imagine, and I could be wrong, but my imagination is telling me, Valerie, that perhaps you've got this B-Day attachment and you're proud enough to write in about it to a British podcast because you feel it is in some way kind of European and cultured. Very cosmopolitan. So I think she's sort of bought the B-Day attachment so that she can do the tour. Oh. She sort of bought it so she can talk about it. Like, Look what we've got. Look, this is what Picasso would have put on his cock. That's basically what she's doing. And you know what? The amount... People love to talk about those tricked-out Japanese toilets. Yes. I think this is actually a good conversation to have. I think people all love to talk about this. And so to answer your question head-on, two minutes. Okay. Two minutes of conversation about B-Days. That's about right. How do you introduce it, though, if you're Valerie and you're testing out the guests? You don't know if they're somebody who likes to acknowledge the existence of their own arsehole and hygiene 
thereof. Yeah. But you don't mm. know that they're not. I think um, what you don't do is when someone asks to use the bathroom at that point, start giving them a big lecture about the B-Day because that's awkward. So I think it's right to say there's a fun two minutes of conversation here that I can insert. I think the time to insert it is, as I say, in the context of doing a tour of the house, talk about what you've recently done renovating the house, but not at a time someone is about to go and use it because that's when they might feel uncomfortable because you are talking about them yeah. having a poo or the process of them having a poo. Off to wash your asshole, are you? <laughs> I think maybe you could just be as matter-of-fact about this as possible. You could say, here's the bathroom. Uh, there's a B-Day function in the toilet. Do feel free to use it if you want. Yeah. And then just carry on to the next room. Why don't you just leave a little instruction manual just stuck to the wall where it's like, to use the B-Day attachment, switch the switch to blah, blah, blah. That's not a bad idea, yeah. Or a QR code someone could scan. No. <laughs> or maybe she could have a party. She'd be like, come around, everybody, try my new B-Day toilet. Yeah. Bum-themed party. Please send us an email. We love to keep in touch. If you send us an email, we'll like you very much. It's podcast at googlemail.com. That's podcast at googlemail.com. So please send us an email, or we won't know you're there. And if we like your email, we'll read it out on air. Ben in St. Louis, Missouri is a return questionnaire. He says, in episode 338, I shared my dislike of Ikea and you answered my question about Ikea product names. At the end of the segment, Ollie tossed out the fact that one in five Brits was conceived in an Ikea bed. Despite my dislike of Ikea, my wife's and my bed is one of the few things in our home from Ikea. And now in that bed... We have conceived our first child. Oh. <laughs> Congratulations, Ben. Your other four children you're going to have to conceive in beds from Habitat in order to keep the stats <laughs> appropriate. Ben says, we have a small house and we prefer to keep a simpler life with fewer possessions. Well, good fucking luck when you have a child, mate. Uh, we know that having a kid involves a lot of possessions that we wouldn't otherwise own, such as really tiny shoes. Yes. Books that don't really have words in, but do have crackle in the pages. <laughs> <laughs> but we would like to keep our stuff down to a minimum so that we have the freedom to use our time, money and brain space on more valuable experiences rather than on stuff. Ollie, answer me this. Which baby items and furnishings did you think were necessary prior to your son's birth, which you now have found to be unnecessary and which we should consider doing without? Is there anything that you are surprised to have found to be vital as a parent? What do we definitely need on our baby registry and what should we leave off? Okay. Uh, well, let me say right off the bat that, uh, and I'd heard this before having a child, but I now know from my own experience that it is true. Mm -hmm. The Answer Me This mug is the perfect size for bottle warming. Oh, cool. £12 from answermethispodcast.com slash superstore. Genuinely, we don't make much money out of that. We make like a quid. There's, so I'm genuinely like no saying it is. We've had it for 10 years and it's still going strong. It is. Oh, it's such a good, genuinely is a great mug. It's the perfect size. And, and don't think, by the way, oh, but we're breastfeeding, so we're not going to need to warm bottles. A, you might struggle with breastfeeding, or B, you might want to decant breast milk into a bottle. In either case, that's a great bottle warming mug. Uh, and also, the answer to me, this store sells bibs. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Just FYI. Now, I've not had children, but I have observed amongst the parents that I know a couple of things that they do not want, and a couple of things that have been absolute hits. Mm -hmm. So the things that they don't want is body butter. My friend Claire said she got given gallons and gallons of body butter. 
And I know that your skin takes a bit of a hit when you're pregnant, but it was too much body yeah, butter. Sure. The theory of that is, yeah, let treat the mother. So people think, oh, you get bombarded with stuff for the baby, but you don't need stuff for the baby because you'll have already bought the stuff you need. So let's treat the mother. She's been through a tough physical and emotional time. But yeah, I'd say bottle of gin. Although I, that can come through your breast milk, so be careful. Or, or voucher for a local massage place. Exactly, yeah. And everyone gets zillions of blankets and you don't really need that many, do you? But the things that parents I know have found invaluable, and I don't know whether you agree with this, Ollie, uh, a little bouncy chair with a fluffy lining, because babies go to sleep really well in a little bouncy chair with a fluffy lining. Yeah, I would go as far to say the baby bouncer is the number one essential. Not the bouncer that you hang in the doorway so they can bounce up and down with glee. This is like the sort of lounge chair, but for a baby that gently oscillates. Yeah, some sort of thing you can put them down in before they're able to crawl that you can slowly uh, bounce with your foot. Yeah. That's great. You can take a business call, you can watch TV, forget about eye contact, they don't know who you are for the first six months. So long as your (laughs) foot is on a chair and they're moving, that's their whole world. You can even get ones that move the chair for you. I'd say, don't get a sleepy head, but again, this is my personal experience. What is that? It's like this sort of weird, cushioned, U-shaped bed within a bed which some people rave about. It's kind of like swaddling right. if you can't be asked to actually swaddle them yourself. Oh, so it's like a hug, but without humans involved. Exactly. It's like a constant hug delivered by fabric, which we bought. It was £100 Ooh. and we never used once. Oh, so you don't even know if it works because you never used it. Yeah, but th- that's the point. Like, we never had cause to use it. But every baby's different, which is the problem. I mean, obviously, also, what is glorious? But, <laughs> like, we've never used dummies. And we've literally never used a dummy. And it's not because we had a policy of, like, oh, dummies are so horrible. He's just not into it. it. There wasn't a point, like, I think you know when you need a dummy, and that's when you've been up all night because your baby's screaming. That never happened. Like, he was he was up all night, and he was, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd wake us up four times. But there was never that incessant crying not that i recall anyway so we never got to a moment where we were like oh this is where you use the dummy he just never took one so whereas for other people that would be the most important purchase i think the tip would be don't take stuff out the packaging until you use it right and what about boring stuff like bottle sterilizers well it sort of depends whether or not you're going to use powdered milk um we ended up half and halfing it which isn't to say we used half cream half milk (laughs) 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 vanilla lattes all the way um but which is to say pretty much from week one um we were doing kind of half breast milk half powdered milk and so if you are going to use powdered milk at all uh, this is a dull recommendation but genuinely i'm evangelical about this product i would recommend getting yourself a tommy tippy perfect prep machine Can you use it to make cappuccinos as well? No, but it looks like that, which is what's great about it. Does it take up a lot of room? No. And so it sounds, it's really hard to explain to people who aren't parents because it sounds completely gratuitous. Because all it does, literally all it does, is you put your clean bottle underneath it. You select how much milk you're going to put in. It puts in the required amount of hot water. Then you put your spoon of milk in to dissolve it. Then it puts in the required amount of cold water to fill the bottle. You'd think you don't need a machine to do that. But when it's four in the morning Mm. and you are knackered, that saves so much time. Because otherwise what you have to do is you have to boil a kettle, then wait for it to cool down so that the water is purified and exactly the right temperature. And you always forget and you end up making a cup of tea and then you've ruined the whole thing and you have to start again. And even if you have two kettles, that's a pain in the ass. This thing purifies the water and gives you exactly the right amount. And then you take it out and it's fun, like making an espresso. It's amazing. The other thing I'd say as well, scratch mitts. 
I didn't know that that was a real thing. Well, the babies scratch themselves. We're so stupid when we're born that we claw out our own eyes unless you put gloves on our hands. I, I can't believe human beings haven't evolved beyond that yet, but we haven't. But my final essential thing I would say, and it might depend on how old you and your wife are, Ben, because I don't know. If you're in your 20s, you could probably get away without one of these. But if you're a parent in your 30s, like I am, or especially in your 40s, get a changing table. Mm-hmm. Get a changing table, because otherwise you have to change your baby on the floor, which is safer because the baby can't roll off and hurt itself. But honestly, like the moment I have to get down on the floor to change a nappy, my back starts hurting. And it can be a five minute process by the time you fucked around with all the cream and wipes and whatever. And it just it mean what it means is your back starts hurting and then you do a really sloppy job and you end up with a baby with a dirty asshole because your back hurts. People have just put like a changing pad on their chest of drawers. Yeah, fine. But that's still effectively a changing table. That's fine. Make your own changing table if you need to. But think about changing the baby at height. I mean, if you don't have a chest of drawers, you might think I'll do it on the floor or I'll do it on the bed. What I'm saying is floor hurts your back. Bed will get feces all over your bedclothes. So think about that. That brings us to the end of this episode of Answer Me This. But please help us make more Answer Me Thises by sending us your questions via email, via a voice memo sent to that email address, which is safer than our Skype. But that's still an option, as is our phone line. All of our contact details are on our website, answermethispodcast.com. And you can also visit answermethisstore.com to buy our classic episodes, numbers 1 to 200. And it's also where we keep our one-off albums. There are five of them to collect. Impress your friends. Oh, you know what would be a good thing to listen to in the run-up to Harry and Meghan's wedding is the Answer Me This Jubilee. An hour of royal shtick. Yeah, you're right. We have done an album of stuff about the royals. So yes, if you're getting in the mood for what is apparently a day of national celebration, check out the Answer Me This Jubilee album. And also we have our other audio that we make on The Illusionist. I recently put out an episode about how swearing is good for your health. So I'd imagine a lot of you will be comforted by that information. Sounds like a fucking great listen. And there's also an episode about how superheroes' names evolved, including how Black Panther came to be called Black Panther. Oh, So that might be good. relevant okay. still to your interest. What's up on the Ollie Mann-controlled feeds? <laughs> uh, my podcast, The Modern Man, a weekly magazine show about sex trends and amazing life stories, uh, is currently in season seven. So far uh, this season, I've met an ex-soldier turned wildlife photographer uh, and an executive headhunter. And I've discussed in detail why my grandma used to put piss on her face. What? Uh, you're not going to find out now. <laughs> you can hear it in detail at modernman2ends.co.uk. Your grandma is an amazing looking woman, which is the greatest advert for piss on your face that I can think of. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was my paternal grandma, actually. Oh, okay. But she was also an amazing looking woman in her day. Now she's preserved in piss. Um, <laughs> Martin, what, what podcast treats have you got for our listeners? Oh, we've got a new season of Song by Song. Uh, we're talking about the Tom Waits album, Frank's Wild Years. Uh, and we've got uh, musician Jeremy Wormsley guesting uh, probably by the time this comes out. Oh, and Martin and I are also going to be doing some live shows. We're oh, yeah. doing the Radiotopia live tour in May and some gigs in Australia in June. Some if live you, illusionists. If you live in the United States or Australia, come and see those. And come back right here to the Answer Me This podcast feed to get a brand new episode from us on the first Thursday of May uh, and a retro episode halfway through the month. Yes, please. Bye! Bye.